All right. Well, we recently have been on a little journey through a portion of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And we were following uh, a man who, when we started, was named Saul, and who later assumed his Greek name, Paul. And he started out as one who was persecuting the church, and he ended up as one of its uh, preeminent apostles and missionaries going out uh, from one of the places where the church was doing well and into what is now modern-day Turkey. We're going to show you a map here. And uh, Paul started off over there in Antioch, and uh, Syria, Antioch, that is, went down to Cyprus, up to Pamphylia, visited, planted churches in two cities there, and then in three cities in towns in Galatia or in Gala, and then uh, planted a church in a town called Derbe in the province of Cilicia, which is actually Paul's home state, not his hometown, but his home state. And then he went back through those various churches. And just a couple of years after he got back to Antioch, uh, he gets a letter from someone in one of the churches in in Gala or Galatea. And he uh, he's troubled by what he hears. Basically, what had happened was that Paul planted these churches, and then he went on his way, went back to Antioch, and some of the people that were put in positions of authority in those churches began to teach some very simple and probably intuitive uh, things. For example, Jesus was Jewish, and so we should be Jewish. And Jesus uh, was circumcised, so we should be circumcised. Jesus kept kosher, so we should keep kosher. And these teachers began to have pretty heavy influence over the churches in this region. And the problem was that Paul had gone to these places and said that we are all equal before Christ because Christ had been Jewish and had been circumcised and had kept kosher. We don't have to. We are free. He fulfilled the law and he offered his life as a sacrifice for us. And so we are free. We're not free to be um, terrible people That's not the point, but we're free from the burdens and obligations of the law. And then Paul went home, and within just a couple of years, these teachings had crept their way into the church as different pastors begin to think things like, you know, this Jesus thing is great, but we really need a couple more rules. We just need to add one or two things to this gospel and everybody will be on the same page. Well, let's read Paul's opening statements in his letter to the churches in Galatia. He 
we're going to start in Galatians chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 9 this morning. And I want you to listen for the Apostle Paul's emotion over these added things that have been thrown into along with the gospel. Starting in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Well, that's happy. So I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I was a, uh, a rather prideful teenager and I was at a summer camp and I heard the gospel not really for the first time but it was the first time that my heart was opened by some entity beyond my choosing if you will and I was completely gripped by what God was saying to me uh, about the love of his son and the sacrifice that he made on my behalf. And I, was, I would say that, you know, for that evening, for that next day or so, I was, I was swimming in the grace of God. And then a very well-meaning, good Christian person gave me a little pamphlet. I believe it was titled, and I'm sure many of you have seen it, it was titled, My Heart, Christ's Home. Have you ever seen this? Okay, it's a very, very common little piece of Christian literature. And I, I want to be careful. I'm not, this is not, 
I'm not condemning the little brochure called My Heart, Christ's Home. I just want to tell you the effect that it had on me. I, I realized that day, that evening, that God loved me in spite of my pride and that he didn't require any uh, cleaning up on my part in order to be forgiven by the blood of Christ. And so that the purity of that first, let's just call it the first 24 hours or so of my new relationship with God was all about grace. And then I got this little pamphlet. And it's actually uh, pretty good. I mean, it's, it's, it's not inaccurate in any way. But basically what it says is you have, you have now opened your front door and invited Christ into your home. And he basically comes in and he says, okay, let me help you clean up. All right, and so you put a few things away in the living room. You go into the kitchen. It's a little messier. And then he, he kind of you know, works his way back to your bedroom. And then he wants into the closet and the attic. And, and these are all places in our lives that we try to uh, hide things from God. Okay, you get the idea? And so the, the pamphlet does a very good job of saying, you know, we, we, mu- we must let Christ into all the areas of our life and invite him or, or allow him to, to be Lord over all of our life. Good idea, good concept, very biblical, no problem there. But here is what my depraved mind started to do with this little bit of Christian information. Oh, it's not all grace. There's some stuff I've got to do now. Okay? And so then it became about what could I do to make myself a better Christian? You following me? All right? And that's not, in and of itself, a necessarily bad question. It's not. But that began sort of a, a creeping in to my own spiritual life of my ability, my intelligence, my will, my um, resolve to do better. So that very quickly, my Christian relationship with God became more about my resolve than it did about anything else. And then I would, uh, I would fail to read my Bible every day. Then how did I feel? Anyone? Anyone? Guilty! I would be ashamed of myself, all right? And I would feel like I'm not doing a very good job as a Christian. And then I would treat somebody like a jerk, and the whole cycle repeats. And then I would do something selfish, and down I go. You with me? Okay. Even to the point where within just a couple of weeks of school starting that year, I began to wonder, am I really a Christian? Did anything really happen to me? Was there truly a change? And 
So my relationship with God, as it is for all of us, was sort of a, a wrestling match of sorts uh, over the next few years. And, uh, I, you know, by God's grace, I, I, never, I, never got, um, I never got to the point where I, I really gave up in despair that I, that I was not a legitimate Christian. God never let me get to that point. And, and so, many, many years later, I'm sitting in a, a seminary chapel service, um, which is a, a yeah, well, never mind. I'm just sitting in a seminary chapel service, and this guy gets up and gives this sermon on grace. And I'll try to, I'll try to, you know, okay. Verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What Paul is saying is we all, we all say we are saved by grace. Every Christian says they're saved by grace. How are we grown how are we grown as Christians? Yeah, faith and grace are both a gift from God. Um, what is the temptation to believe? We're saved by grace. We're grown by effort, right? We've got to dig in. We've got to take charge. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. Paul says, you started well. You got this. I saw you get this. And then I leave, and you've traded the gospel of relying 100% on the grace of Christ with, yes, there's that grace thing that we're saved by, but now we have to do these few things. We're adding to the gospel. Our effort, our will, our resolve. Paul says, no. When we do that, we completely miss the point. I will try to elaborate. Let's look at the two halves of what Paul is saying. Part one is the call to cling to Christ alone. The call to cling to Christ and nothing but Christ. Not just for our salvation, but for our Christian growth. If you want the fancy word for that, it's our sanctification. We are saved by grace and we are grown by grace. If we are to grow as Christians, we will only grow by the grace of God. That's what Paul is emphasizing in verse 6. We're to cling to Christ. That involves believing his message. And Paul, as he opens this chapter, is very clear about where, where, from where this message comes. Did Paul make it up? Did Paul uh, develop it beyond what was given to him? Did Paul contribute anything to the message of grace through Jesus Christ? No. It doesn't come by man, through man, because of man. It comes from God. And Paul says 
this message we are to believe is based on the authority of God. And it is established, verse 1, by the resurrection. And spread, verse 2, by the church. So, Paul says, I, was, I came to you with a message. It wasn't mine. I didn't make it up. I didn't improve upon it. I just brought to you what was given to me by God. That salvation comes by grace alone. The authority by which this message comes is, to, is from God, established by the resurrection of Christ, spread by the church, and it is for you. The message is for you. And Paul understood this very clearly, that as the message is proclaimed, there are those who will have this experience where their heart is changed. They may not be able to explain it or understand it, uh, but this change occurs because the message is for people. It's for you. So there's belief in this message and there's the call to trust completely in His grace. That is, that He gave Himself for us. That He rescued us. Okay, so we're all in a boat, and let's just say for, for giggles that uh, Michael Phelps is there with us. We're all in a boat, and the boat starts to sink, and um, me and Michael fall into the water. Who needs to be rescued? <laughs> Michael Phelps. Just let me go. No, I float. Oh, very good. Very good. Granted. Well, you know, don't get too technical on me here. So, I guess it depends really on where the boat is when this happens, right? But let's just say we're out on a small lake, and uh, who's the first person you're going to think needs to be rescued? Yes. Pastor Tom. Michael, he's probably going to be okay, right? Now, let's take the boat and we'll put it about halfway between California and Hawaii. Now, who needs to be rescued? Everybody. Anybody who falls overboard is going to be in need of rescue. How much of Michael Phelps' skill, ability, and effort? is going to save him. Little or none, right? It don't matter how far the boy swims at this point, um, he's not going to make it to California or Hawaii, either one. So, Paul is essentially saying this when he says Christ rescued us. He rescued us. We are in need of rescue. 
we are not able to save ourselves. We are in a place spiritually from which we cannot extract ourselves. And so, to ruin the metaphor, this does put us all in the same boat, right? Um, We are all in need of rescue. And this is the essential premise that Paul is trying to convey to these young churches. That we are all 100% in need of Christ. And our efforts count for nothing in salvation. Um, Because this is because of the will of God. It's because of God's will. This is, Paul describes it this way um, in verse 4. And it's all for God's glory. Here's basically how this works. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey and partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they sinned. And all of consequent humanity, all of humanity that came from that point was born into sin because of their position in relationship to God. We all are in need of rescue. And when God wills that His Spirit go forth, that His Word go forth, and that a human heart is broken and opened and softened and brought unto salvation through Jesus Christ, when God wills that, it is to His glory. Now, if you want to read Romans chapter 9, you will also see that when God does not will that, and he allows a person to suffer the consequences of their own position, God is also glorified because God is just. God is merciful and God is just. And both sides of that reality of God are satisfied in the ultimate destiny of humanity. But what Paul is talking about here is our destiny in Christ, that we are redeemed, forgiven, loved, and eternally changed as a result of what Christ has done for us. And so, Paul says, trust completely in His grace. He gave Himself to rescue us because of God's will, and it's all for the glory of God. Simple enough, true enough, obvious enough. But nonetheless, Paul does not stop there in verse 6. Excuse me, verse 5. He goes on. And he begins his next passage with, I am astonished. As he calls us both to cling to Christ as well as to resist the creep of our own will and effort back into our relationship with God. We're told not to turn 
from this gospel, the gospel of salvation by grace alone through Jesus Christ. Don't turn from the gospel. And if I can, if I can invert, I think it's verses 3 and 4, um, if it's not by God's will, then it's by our will. Either due to confusion or through the twisting of the truth. Um, verse 4 talks about how this all, the grace, that grace comes by the will of God. And I'm just sort of offering that if, if we move away from that grace, it's not by the will of God, it's by our will. Um, don't turn from the gospel. If we do, it's by our own will, due to confusion or through the twisting of God's word, and it's for our own glory. The inverse, the twisting of verse 5. What is this creep that I speak of? Um, Paul saw it in the first century this way, as I've described earlier. He plants these churches. He, he baptizes them in the grace of Jesus Christ. And he moves on. Within two years, there are pastors in these churches teaching people that's not enough. You have to be right with God. Not only do you have to be saved by grace, but you need to do these things. You need to eat this way. You need to dress this way. You need to talk this way. You need to have your body modified in this way. Um, and Paul hears about it, and he just says, Oy vey, here they go. The creep is on. This, this human thought that God needs something from us has crept back in, and it's, and it's sort of oozing its way into the life of the church. Um, this is plain and simple, our pride, that we think that God needs something from us in order for His grace to stick. And if you think that this only was a problem in the first century, I'm not doing my job. We all have this problem. We all experience this creep in one way or another. And it is the the feeding of our pride that's really the problem. That God needs something from me, some effort, some righteousness of my own. We must not turn from the gospel, which is the only righteousness we need is that of Christ, applied to us by the cross or on the cross. We must not turn from the gospel. We must not miss the gospel. Adding to grace negates it. This is what Paul is saying. So what is grace? What is it? Unmerited favor. It's a gift. Did you do anything to deserve it? 
Does Paul say that we, we receive grace because we're good people? No, he says we receive grace because of the will of God and for the glory of God. So if it's a gift, um, and it's entirely based upon the work, the effort of Christ on the cross, what can we add to it? Nothing. When we do, when we try to add to the gospel our own works, our own efforts, our own legalism or self-righteousness or whatever you want to call it what happens is it a gift if i say to my daughter i bought you this hundred dollar electronic device all you have to do is pay me 25 dollars i mean would that be a good birthday present what's that you should try that. Yeah, see, a little get a little rebate from the kids. Um, yeah, go go across the street and do some babysitting, and then bring that money back, and you can have this. I mean, that's just weird, right? It's not then really a gift; it's something else. And so, Paul is saying, "Look, the grace of God is either a gift or it's something else." And if it's something else, it's not the gospel. It's, it's one or the other. This is an all or nothing deal. And we cannot miss the gospel because of our prideful need to feel like we're contributing. We cannot add to the grace of God. Jesus does not need our help. Adding to grace negates it. And the fruit of our works is deadly. When we add back in to the gospel our efforts, our righteousness, our help to the gospel, not only does it negate the gospel, what is the end result? Paul says it. There's no clearer words in Scripture than these. What is the end result? condemnation and how strong is that condemnation eternal this is big time stuff right let's explore that for just a second self-reliance yields condemnation by god how do you feel under condemnation what does that bring out of a human soul what does condemnation bring out of a human soul guilt what else shame there's one more i don't know if you'll get to it or not but you live with a sense of mm, maybe (laughs) i won't argue that i'm going to go with fear When we are condemned, we live with these three things. Guilt, shame, and fear. When these are the fruit that are driving our lives, what do we taste like to the people around us? Bitter, angry, 
controlling. Um, fill in the blank, right? Paul says, here's how you know if you're depending 100% on the grace of God. And he'll go on later in the book of Galatians to articulate the fruit of the Spirit. For now, we're just looking at the fruit of condemnation. If you are negating the, the grace of God and adding to the gospel, your life will bear the fruit of guilt, shame, and fear. If we live by the Spirit and not by our own strength, do you remember the fruit that comes from that that Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5? I'm just going to jump there for a second. Love, joy, peace, faithfulness, forgiveness, long-suffering or patience. I, I like patience because I long-suffering is so long, so many syllables. Um, gentleness, did I already do faithfulness? I got it out of order. Kindness and self-control. Um, these are the fruit of a life that is given over to the grace of God. We are called to be a people who resist this creep of our own efforts and righteousness back into the equation of the gospel. We are saved by grace and we are grown by grace and we are brought to the fullness of who Christ is only by grace. Here's the conclusion. Relying on grace alone yields peace. Verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Will you pray with me? God our Father, we marvel at Your grace, at the extent to which You went to redeem our souls, at the suffering and the sacrifice of Your Son, all for the sake of fulfilling your gracious will and bringing glory to your name. And Lord, forgive us. We repent of allowing our own righteousness to creep back in to the power of your gospel. We give you all that we try to do to ruin your grace. We leave it at the foot of your cross. Lord, that we might live, swim, dive into that ocean of grace that You have poured out before us and enjoy life there in Your strength, in Your goodness, in Your faithfulness. Lord, may those be the fruits of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.